Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, it's great to see you this morning, and we're taking two weekends, last weekend and this weekend, to look at who we are as a church. So last Sunday, we studied our vision, which is be, make, send disciples. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go and listen to that message. Really had a great time sharing it. And then this week, we're going to look at our core values. You might be saying, what in the world are core values? They're the things that we really value as a church. And without core values, a lot of times, the vision just becomes something that's stagnant on a wall. Be, make, send, disciples. It looks nice on the foyer, looks nice on a website, but doesn't correlate into our lives. And so these are the practical things that help us live out the vision from uh, God's word. So let's pray together and we're gonna jump into this. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that we get to be a church family, that we're bought with your blood. And we just pray that you would continue to unify us in the spirit, that you would bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. I was talking with a friend uh, this week, and they come here to our church, and he was sharing that after last week that him and his family got a few stickers, and they stuck the church's logo on their kids' beds. They've got two sons, six-year-old and a four-year-old, and they said, hey, when we do our family prayer at night, we're going to pray for RMC, and really ran with what we talked about last week. So check this out. This is what the six-year-old prayed. He prayed that his pastors would be faithful to teach God's word. Isn't that awesome? from a six-year-old inside of our church. The four-year-old prayed this. He prayed that everybody who comes in the doors of RMC would feel welcome. And where do they get that stuff? A six-year-old and a four-year-old. It's through the Spirit of God. So really, as you see the church logo, please take the time to to pray for. May it be that reminder to pray. A friend uh, has relatives in Texas, and she said, hey, Eric, you'll never believe my, my relatives in Texas, they downloaded the app, And they're listening to the teachings from RMC. And they were so excited about it. They're listening to the teachings at work. And a coworker said, hey, what are you listening to? And it gave her a chance to share Christ. So God's really using these things. And we want to continue to take those steps of faith. And I've really just personally enjoyed being able to take the time to share my heart about our church. This is the first time I've ever shared our core values with our church. I've shared it with the leadership, but not with our church. And these are things that the Lord has shown me and planned in my heart over a lot of years. So there's 10 of them. I've got about three or four minutes for each core value. This is entirely different from what we normally do. Next week, we'll start the book of James and get back to verse by verse. So you want to write these things down, maybe write down the references, but I will be looking at several different verses this morning. The first is this. We exist for God's glory. Number one, we exist for God's glory. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for our own comfort. We're not here for our own edification. We're here to glorify the Lord together. And that's the purpose of what we do. So in our services, we want to glorify the Lord. In every ministry, we want to glorify the Lord together. And so each home fellowship, each small group, men's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry, we want to glorify the Lord together. But hopefully not just in our church times. It's fairly easy to glorify the Lord right now in this hour and 15 minutes. I mean, the pressure's kind of on. If you stand up and start screaming and cussing, you're not really going to fit in right now. You know, so we tend to behave and glorify the Lord, but it's really our life outside of these times. It's so important to glorify God. There's a few verses on God's glory. The first is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, 
that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Did you catch that? God chose the weak things of this world to confound the wise. So when God does work in and through our lives, it's not because of our talents, it's not because of our ability, it's not what we bring to the table. God chooses weak people and uses them. So a lost and dying world looks on and goes, what's the deal with Rocky Mountain Calvary? It's gotta be a God thing. It's not a man thing at all. I see that in my life that God has called me into pastoring and teaching his word out of weakness. I didn't learn how to read until the summer before going into fourth grade. That's way behind when you're learning how to read. I went under the radar. No one detected that I wasn't able to read. Middle school, still really struggling in reading to where history class, you've got to read a paragraph and then the next kid reads a paragraph. So you read over here and you read over here and then it'd be my turn to read. And I'm just slaughtering the words and can't get through the paragraph. And of course, the whole class is laughing. I mean, it makes me nervous just thinking about some of those memories that I had in, in middle school. So I share that with you just to let you know the last thing that I would wanna do four times a week is read out loud over and over and over again. And it's really out of weakness that the Lord has called me to teach his word. So when anything good happens, I know that it is the Lord. And that's true in our fellowship. It's true in our church family. It's out of weakness that the Lord calls us. In Jeremiah 9 verse 23, it says this, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories, glories in this, that he understands and knows me. So maybe you are really gifted. Maybe you are really talented. Maybe you're really rich. Maybe you're really strong. It's an ability that's been given by the Lord. But don't take glory in that. Take glory in one thing that you know the Lord. That's what we're to be glorying in. God's passionate about his glory. In Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord. That is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. The thing that's going to destroy this church quicker than anything else is if we start to touch God's glory. True? So when good gifts come from the Lord, we want to be quick to recognize this is God. He's the vine. We're the branches. We're just connected to him, and this is because Christ is working in and through our lives. One of the ways that we express glory to God as a church is understanding Christ's position in our church. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Christ is our leader. Christ is our head. He's the one that gives us direction, and it's through him that has preeminence in our church. He has the greatest value in our church. So here's number two. We tremble before God's word. We tremble before God's word. Last week, we talked about the importance of God's word in our lives and in our church, our method of going through God's word, but this is our attitude towards God's word. Do we come 
into the sanctuary anticipating for God to rock our world, for God to speak to us, that this is something special that happens each and every week. This is very different than anything that we do. We open God's word together. Do we tremble before his word in our own time with the Lord? Habit can get us to a place where it's just ho-hum, 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 I'm opening up God's word and I don't really expect him to speak to me today. Or do we come and we put him in his proper place, we take our proper place, and there's a respect that comes to God and to his word. In Isaiah 66, verse two, it says this, for all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. God says, I've created everything, but this one person I look upon, someone who's contrite and poor in spirit, realizes their need for God, realizes that we're spiritually bankrupt before God, and then actually trembles before the word of God. So how does this work out in our church family? I think it works out in a couple of of details. I notice that when people go to the movies, they tremble before the movie screen. We get there early, we get our popcorn, we get our snacks, we get our drink, we make sure we go to the bathroom, and we make sure what? The cell phone? It's in silent. Why? Because people have spent a small life savings just to get into the movies these days. But what if you're that guy or you're that gal in the movies that you decide to talk on your phone? Could you imagine? Your phone rings and you pick it up. Hey, how you doing? I'm at the movies. It's pretty good. You should go. What are you doing? Da, 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 da. Just talk. Right? Someone behind you is going to smack you on the head because they're invested. They're trembling before the movie screen to get their entertainment. Now, it happens to all of us sometimes where you just forget to put your phone on silent and your phone starts ringing. But there has been a couple of times right in the midst of teaching God's word, of worshiping him in spirit and in truth, someone answers the phone and they just start having a conversation. They're like, I'm just going to sit here and pretend like I'm the only one in the room and I'm the only one that matters and I don't really care that you're distracted and da, 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 da. And I'm an old youth pastor and I just want to just jump down there and say, hey, get off your phone. You know, we're in God's word. But, you know, now I'm a senior pastor and I can't do that. And you get really embarrassed and be really offended and all those kind of things that would take place. And it's happened to me before. I've been up here teaching one time and I had my cell phone in my pocket and my phone rang and man, that was hugely embarrassing. So don't beat up on yourself. I'm not saying beat up on yourself, but I am saying let's be aware and say, I'm gonna silence my phone and this can wait until I'm done spending time in God's word. You know, using the restroom before service so that I don't gotta walk all the way out and all the way in. Hey, if it's an emergency, Lord bless you. We don't wanna have an accident in the sanctuary. You know what I'm saying? But all those things, it does minimize distractions. We enjoy having kids in the sanctuary and young kids in the sanctuary. And many times it goes great, but sometimes these small kids just don't appreciate my teaching. I don't really understand why, you know. And they're fussy and all those kind of things. And parents, if you'd be polite in those moments and go out to the foyer, man, it's a huge blessing. If a kid cries for 10 or 15 minutes through a service, sometimes my thoughts are going in the frequency, right? And I can see your faces and you're going in the frequency. So just quietly go out to the foyer. It's a huge blessing. 
It works well with small kids to sit towards the back and that way we're closer to the door and those kind of things. It really makes a difference if we'll do those small things as we come in to hear God's word and worship together. We tremble before his word. The third is we're determined to preach Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, the first two verses. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is an extremely intelligent and educated man. And when he came to Corinth, he said, I was concerned to know one thing, the testimony of God. What is the testimony of God? Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we understand that the message of Jesus and him crucified and risen for our sins is greater than anything else that we could give. So at Rocky Mountain Calvary, a core value that's gonna result in being and making and sending disciples is we're gonna preach Jesus. The Bible points to Jesus. Jesus said the whole Old Testament speaks of him. The gospels are Jesus. The epistles explain the life of Jesus in greater detail. The book of Revelation gives us an idea of what eternity is gonna be like forever with Jesus. And so as we go through the word, we're gonna emphasize Jesus Christ. Also something you can count on as a church family is that the gospel's gonna be preached every time that we have a service. Because we never know where someone's at, when they're gonna step into eternity. So we wanna share the cross. We wanna share his crucifixion and resurrection and give people an opportunity to come to know Christ as their savior. I think that's important and exciting for us as a church family because you know if I'm bringing a family member, if I'm bringing somebody who doesn't know Christ, they're gonna hear the gospel. They're gonna have an opportunity to hear Christ. And so we're able to partner together and be able to reach out together. The fourth is this, is we value relationship. First, our relationship with God, then with one another. A church and a ministry is really only as healthy as its relationships. First, us being worshipers of God. Matthew 22 says, love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Ephesians 4 gives us a directive in relationships. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. That's a lot of unity that we have inside of Christ Jesus. But sometimes we have to endeavor to keep that unity. We have to understand, okay, there's some biblical issues that are worth dividing over. If it's an area of compromise and truth, then we must stand in truth. But a lot of times churches divide over things that aren't issues of truth and they're issues of personal preference. And so as we love and as we serve together, there's going to be times where we're going to have to fight for the unity as a body of believers. Psalms 133 verse 1 says this, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren and sistren to dwell together in unity. It's good, isn't it? There's just something great about walking into a church where the church loves one another and they're abounding in love. And that's what I'm experiencing at RMC. I love the relationships inside of this church and the pastoral team and those who are on staff. And so we're thankful for those relationships that we have. And in a lot of ways, I feel like 
I'm preaching to the choir here. And thank you for caring about relationships inside of this church and continue investing in those relationships. The fifth is this. We pursue excellence in everything that we do. As a servant leadership team, we want to try to do things with excellence. In Colossians 3, verse 23, it says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever you do, from the smallest to the greatest in our perspective, I want to do this with all of my heart to the glory of God. I had the opportunity this week just to go on a prayer, walk, slash hike, and I just took a few minutes to get out into God's creation, to sit down for 10 or 15 minutes and observe creation. And if it's been a while since you've done that, doesn't God's creation rock? I mean, when he made things, when he made this world, he did a really good job on it. He did it with excellence. He didn't kind of just go, well, you know, that sunrise doesn't really matter that much. It's only gonna happen every day. He does it with excellence. He does it with beauty. The sunsets he does with beauty. The stars he does with beauty. And so we get to reflect the image of God when we do things with excellence. And this correlates into every area of our life. Monday morning's gonna come most likely, unless Christ returns tonight. Maybe right in the middle of the Bronco game, you know? Most likely, Monday morning's gonna come, and you may have a job that you love, you may have a job that you hate, you might have a really nice boss, you may have a really mean boss, but each day we have the opportunity to serve with excellence unto the Lord. Let the excellence of your service be worshiped to God. Let me say that again. Let the excellence of your service be worshiped to God. I was listening to someone share on work ethic this week, and he said, if you show up to work five minutes early with a smile and you're honest, you will stand out above all of the rest in your workplace. Isn't that true? Think about that. Five minutes early with a smile, committed to being honest. So our excellence can really stand out as a testimony to Jesus Christ. The sixth core value is we passionately pursue the lost. Passionately pursue the lost. What can happen to our lives as Christians and as a church is we can get completely inward focused and we forget the fact that there's people who are lost, who are dying and going to hell. There's people in our city this week that committed suicide. There's middle school students in our community this week that committed suicide. There's families that are so broken apart where husbands are killing their wives. It's heartbreaking. People continuing to do drugs, to go after this, to go after that, to go after success, lost people. And God is very clear that he saved us to enter into his mission. And I'm just as guilty. I, in my life, I can get comfortable and I can forget about those who don't know Christ as their savior. The longer that we walk with the Lord, it's very easy for us to be around more and more believers, which is a good thing, but then stop and go, how many relationships do I have with unbelievers? You know, let me, let me list that out. And am I caring for them, praying for them, sharing the love of Jesus Christ? And the best way to reach out to lost people is through relationship. Number one, hands down. Jesus with the woman at the well is a conversation that he was having. That's the best way for us to be able to reach out to others. But we also do outreaches together. This Wednesday night, please pray for me. This is the first revolution that I'll be doing. And I'm trying to tackle this subject of what is truth. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, our culture and our society says there's no absolute truth. 
I mean, why would you even receive Christ as your savior if you don't believe that there's any truth? I think it's a great question to be able to invite somebody who doesn't know Christ. They don't have to agree. They maybe have disagreements and say, why don't you just come? And come ask your questions and come examine, is there truth? What if there really is truth that you could live your life by? And So let's pray and let's reach out. What if every single one of us invited at least one person who doesn't know the Lord? And bring them with you. Just say, hey, come with me. Let's eat together beforehand in the cafe or over at Toxic Smell, I mean Taco Bell. And then we'll come in and we'll hear this message on what is truth. But we want to, in our lives, passionately pursue the lost. The seventh is this, is we want to see the giants fall. What do I mean by this? We want to see the giants fall. We just studied the book of Joshua. There was a generation who died in the wilderness because they didn't believe that God was bigger than the giants. So they said, we're going to stay here in the wilderness. And God said, okay, that's fine. And there's two men, Joshua and Caleb, that said, we believe that God's bigger than the giants. And they led in the next generation. We want to walk in faith with the promises of God that he puts in front of us. When we see a giant, instead of shrinking back in fear to standing up and saying, we trust that God wants to do a work in this time and continue to take steps of faith. This February, we were able to go to Israel with a small group from the church, and I was in the Valley of Elah, the very valley where David stood up to Goliath. And it really hit me that there's many giants in our day that God wants to see fall, and he's looking for Davids and Mrs. Davids. And that he desires for us as a church, he desires for my family as my kids grow up in my home, that we would grow up with an attitude and a mentality that says, we know God and we know who he is, and we know that God wants to bring about a great victory. What was the issue with Goliath? Is he was trying to imprison God's people and defame God's glory. Don't you see that all over the place in our culture? People are trying to imprison God's people and defame God's glory. And God wants some people inside of the body of Christ to rise up and say, we'll risk comfort, we'll risk security, we'll risk our own lives if needed, but we'll stand up to these giants and we desire to see these giants fall. See, God wants to use each and every one of us. It's not just hearing about the great works that God does in other people's life, but God wants you and me and us to have our own story. And so we have to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight, and trusting him. One of the things that concerns me as the Lord has blessed us and allowed us to be an established church is that we'll no longer take steps of faith. It seems like as churches get established, they can easily depart from steps of faith because they feel like they have too much to risk. But church plants, when they're very new in their conception, they'll risk it all. They don't have much to risk. So they'll take those steps of faith and we don't ever want to get to that place in our lives or in our church where if it's clearly the Lord, we want to step out in faith. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not looking for every challenge under the sun. I'm just saying the giants that God puts in our lives, the Goliath that's right there, may we not walk away in unbelief, but walk away in faith and say, Lord, I believe that you can cause the giants to fall. Number eight. I got more on my mind, but I don't have time. 
Number eight, we understand our battle is spiritual. We understand that our battle is spiritual. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through six, God says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Ephesians 6, verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the ruler of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Please hear this core value of our church. We are in a spiritual battle. We understood this to a greater degree as a church staff last year as we stepped out in these revolutions and we didn't understand how much that Satan doesn't want his youth group to get reached. See, Satan doesn't want us to be a church that cares about the lost. Satan's not all pumped up that we're doing what is truth this Wednesday night. He's not excited if you say, you know what, I'm really gonna reach out to somebody who doesn't know Christ as my savior. Satan's not sitting there and going, hey, you know what, that's really cool that you decided to get into God's word every day. He's gonna attack. And it's a good thing in our lives when we realize there's a spiritual opposition because we're headed in the right direction. Maybe the worst place to be is where we're no threat to the enemy at all in our lives. Because ah, they're a Christian, they're a believer, but they're not concerned about the kingdom of God. I'll just leave them alone. Don't you love that last song that we sang this morning? The great I am. There's a real enemy, but God's greater. So we need to enter into this battle through prayer. Number nine, we refuse to be old wineskins. This has nothing to do with age, okay? What this does have to do with is being flexible to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna read to you of Matthew 9, verse 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? It was tradition to fast at different times of the year in Israel, and Christ's disciples are not following this tradition. Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? I mean, imagine if you went to a wedding and you're just crying like you were at a funeral, right? They'd be like, ah, you're being kind of disrespectful. You probably shouldn't have come if that's how you felt about the marriage, right? So Jesus is saying, it's not the time for mourning, but the days will come when the bridegroom, which is Jesus, will be taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. The message will never change. God's word is unchanging, but the method will change. How God reaches people and moves in and through the life of a church will change as the Holy Spirit brings new life into a church. And if you look at church history, you'll find that when churches are birthed, there's this great move of the Spirit and a willingness to follow the leading of the Spirit. But as churches go to second, third, fourth generation, they tend to lean towards tradition. And I, what I mean is, this is the way this church has always done it. And there's not a flexibility to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and eventually, then God raises up a new movement to reach lost people. 
And so we want to stay committed and we will stay committed to God's word, but we want to be flexible to what the Holy Spirit wants to do now in our church. A rut is a routine that's led to death. It can happen in a marriage. There's a routine that takes place and then it becomes a rut and ultimately it is the death of that marriage. And that's not what I want for this church. It's not what you want for this church. So what does this look like practically for us as a church leadership? Is we don't wanna take the calendar from 2013 and CC it, carbon copy it to 2014 and go, well, we had a women's retreat last year, so we're gonna have a women's retreat this year. We had a men's retreat, so we're gonna have it again. We had harvest gathering, so we're headed it again. We're, this is the way we've always done it, so this is the way we're always gonna do it. We wanna wipe the calendar clean, wipe the chalkboard clean, and say, God, what do you wanna do in the life of RMC this year? And the Lord may go, oh yeah, do women's retreat again. Do men's retreat again. But then we know we're doing it out of the leading of the Lord, not just out of tradition. So how do we remain flexible? Because I think change is hard for all of us. And if you think that we don't have tradition here, we do. We have four songs, announcements, a verse-by-verse teaching. We share the gospel, the last song, and we go home. That's tradition. And there's nothing wrong with that tradition as long as God is continuing to lead in it. So we can't look down at other churches and go, oh, they're so traditional. No, we are too. We have our tradition. It just looks a little bit different. So how do we remain flexible? How do we refuse to be old wineskins? We saturate ourselves in the word of God. The word of God is water to our souls that makes us flexible. Also, we saturate ourselves inside of the Holy Spirit. So that's our ninth core value. Our 10th and last core value is this, is we trust in God's provision. And I love this one. I, we trust in the Lord's provision for our church. You've probably noticed something that doesn't happen in our services is there's no plate or KFC bucket or whatever you want to call it that's passed down aisle to aisle to take an offering to give to the work of the Lord. Do we not believe in giving? Yes, we do. I think giving is so important. We teach on giving as we go through the scriptures, but when it comes to your offering, we've chosen to simply put boxes in the back, boxes in the foyer, some boxes changed in the foyer because the boxes were getting old and it was time for, for some new ones because we want giving to be between you and the Lord. And we want you to be freed up to be a cheerful giver and not give simply out of obligation. And 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to make all grace abound towards you, that you also, having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. Purpose in your own heart what you're to be giving to the Lord. Ask the Lord, and then allow it to be a cheerful offering to God. Now, maybe your giving's just kind of begrudgingly, and it's like, here you go, Lord. Here's your tithe check. I'm gonna put it in. Well, guess what? Be freed up today. Just keep all of your money. God doesn't need it. He's not broke, 
and he's able to provide for his work. And allow the giving to be cheerful. Lord, you've saved me. Everything belongs to you, so I'm gonna love you and giving this offering back to you, Lord. You get to purpose in your heart as you follow the Lord to be able to give unto him. It's a wonderful testimony of God's provision of here we are, our church all of these years, and God has faithfully provided without us taking an offering. And that shows me that God wants us to be here because he's providing for us. If God stops providing for us, then he doesn't want us to be here anymore. And he has to have that freedom to open and close the door of the church. Also, another reason that we don't take an offering is most unbelievers think that church is about one thing, money. So you bring somebody who doesn't know Christ and they go, oh, I told you so, all they wanted was my money. And so this gives that freedom for them to come and hear about Jesus Christ, that we're not here to get people's money. We're here to give people Jesus. Amen? So those are the core values. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to take a couple of weeks and do things a little bit different to share the vision and the core values. I'm so thankful for you as a church family. And we continue to cover your prayers for RMC. And this morning, we're gonna end this two weeks, I think, in a great way. And that is this, to take communion together. We talked about who we are. We're church family. What makes us church family is the broken body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. So in just a moment, the guys are gonna come and they're gonna pass the elements. And then when everybody's served, we'll partake together. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and prepare our hearts for communion.